We have been working our way through uh, a New Testament book, the letter to the Romans uh, that Paul, one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, has written to uh, this church in Rome to uh, help them understand more fully the truths and the realities of the gospel, the good news that Jesus rules and reigns and that he has and is the only one who can deliver God's people from the penalty for our sin. Uh, Paul, last week, uh, we saw where he was uh, going to support uh, this uh, declaration that he's communicating that we are made righteous through faith, not through the works that we've done, not through keeping God's law, not through doing at all, but believing and trusting and resting in the God who justifies sinners. Paul's been going to show that it hasn't been an innovation that he's come up with. He's pointing God's people to the Old Testament scriptures, particularly to uh, Genesis chapter 15, where when Abraham uh, was asking God about the promise that he gave to provide him with offspring, uh, God told Abraham, look at the stars, and as many as there are, so will your offspring be. And what Uh, The scriptures tell us is that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, This week, uh, Paul is going to continue to use that chapter, that section of Genesis, to continue to ground for God's people this understanding that we are made righteous through faith. Uh, And he's going to begin to to dig deeper into uh, the promises that God has given his people. Because one of the struggles that we have today and that was, that was prominent then is to think that it's based on what we do that we're made right with God. It's based on how we perform that we can influence God to work in our lives and to give to us what he has promised. And Paul is seeking to undercut all of that and root everything in faith and trust in our God. Uh, last week, I got some great pictures uh, from the kids who drew uh, uh, drew for me a picture of Abraham looking at the stars and believing and trusting in God. We're going to look at another crazy image in Genesis 15 this week where uh, God has Abraham cut a bunch of animals in half and walk through them. So if you want to draw that picture, I would love to put that up there beside, uh, beside Abraham and the stars. But if, if that's a little too gruesome for you, how about you draw a picture of old Abraham an old Sarah holding a newborn baby. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll look together here in Romans chapter 4. And we're going to finish the chapter this, this morning. If you're in, uh, in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 941. We're looking at verses 13 down through 25. So follow along with me if you can in your copy there of God's Word. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, 
but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who is delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these good and precious promises that you have given us in Scripture. We thank you that through faith we become uh, partakers of all that you promise uh, to your people. Uh, we pray this morning uh, that you would move us more and more to, to rest in you, in your character, uh, in your goodness, in your faithfulness. Uh, that, that you would be the object of our faith. Uh, and that you would wean us more and more. Really just cut us off completely from trusting and resting in ourselves or anything else that we're depending on uh, to be made right with you. Uh, would Christ be glorified through the preaching of your word? It's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, we've seen that Paul's been addressing uh, uh, some conflict within the church in Rome uh, as uh, the gospel that he's proclaiming and the gospel that is being believed in this believing community there in uh, Rome is being challenged by uh, the Jews from outside who do not believe in, uh, in Jesus as the, the Messiah. Uh, they're, they're saying that there's no way that Gentiles can be made right with God if they're not keeping God's law. Um, so Paul is trying to, to point us and help us to understand that it's through faith that we're made righteous with God. Uh, because the, the, the Jews thought that, uh, even using the example of, of Abraham, uh, that, that Abraham was, was right with God because he obeyed, because he kept the law. Uh, that, when we've been talking about that, of, of understanding uh, righteousness, righteousness is to, to live in conformity with God's laws and with his character. They thought that, that Abraham was right with God because of how he was living. And Paul's been showing us that, no, it's rooted in faith. Faith in God, not Abraham's works. See, the Jews were also, though, believing that, that all of the promises that God gave, the, the promise to Abraham, of not just of, uh, of children, but of, of land, of being the father of nations, was also uh, realized and embraced and experienced in his life due to his obedience. And here we're going to see that what Paul's addressing is to show us that these promises as well were never grounded in Abraham's obedience. But God's promises have always come through faith. And that's the first thing that we see here. That these promises, too, that God gives always come through faith. Look there in verse 13. 
For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Remember, the Jews were thinking that the way one was declared righteous before God was through keeping the law. Abraham is saying, or Paul here is saying, no, that's not the case at all. You were declared right with God through faith. So it's, it's, not, it's never, even in, in embracing and receiving uh, these promises from God, it's not rooted in performance. It's not rooted in, in keeping the law before Him as if you're meriting something before Him. But it's always come that you are made right. You are, your, your righteousness, your right standing with God comes through faith. And it's based on that righteousness that's given to you from God that you inherit these promises. Through His grace, not through what you've done. For, notice where Paul goes. Think about what if it was based on keeping the law? Would anybody ever be able to receive these promises? Notice, notice what Paul says. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs of these promises, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no, trans, there is no transgression. Paul's saying, look, if it really was based, and you're receiving these promises, was based on your keeping the law, then no one, no one would ever receive the promise. Because we would all break it. If you think that by keeping the law, you will please God, we've, we're, we're confused. We've completely misunderstood, one, why God's given the law. Uh, what Paul is saying is that as God gave the law, one aspect and reason that he gave the law, one purpose and role that it had was to expose to us our sin and how far short we fall from the God that we heard about in Isaiah this morning who is high and exalted and lifted up and who dwells apart from us. Uh, Paul is saying here, as, as you attempt to keep the law, what you'll keep coming up to over and over and over again is not realizing, man, look how great I am, how I'm able to live up to these laws. What did we just say? The first four commandments teach, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. What's the second commandment? Jesus says that we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Every time we would attempt to do that, we would fall short. What that does is it exposes to us how far short we have fallen of the righteous standard that God has for us. What the law does is that it shows us more and more our sin. What Paul tells us here is that uh, in verse 15, the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there's no transgression. Uh, Paul's saying that the more that the written law was given to the Jews, they're actually under further obligation. They're, they're, they're deserving of the wrath of God is even more apparent because of how far short they fall of keeping these further commands that God's given. Yes, the Gentiles fall and fail to live up to the law that's written on their heart. But the Jews have these other explicit commands given by the Lord. And the more that they do uh, fail to live up to the law, they transgress it. They break it. They're even more deserving of God's wrath and judgment because they failed to keep this further revelation that is there. 
Paul says, look, if it, if it was based on works that you would receive God's promises, then no one would ever receive a thing from God. But notice where he goes. If, if by works of the law, the promise would be void, meaning no one would inherit it. Notice what he says, though, in verse 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Notice that the fact that it's not based on your works, on your performance, or even on Abraham's performance. It's based on faith rooted in God's grace. Notice what the result is in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed. You see, if it's based on our performance, we'll never inherit or experience or lay claim to these promises that God has given. But if it's based on faith, rooted in the grace of our God, then God can guarantee that His people will receive the promise because it's based on what He has done, not on what we have done. Remember, the... the the idea of, of works is one who's it's directed at the, at the person, at yourself. But faith, the principle of faith that Paul's been t- telling us about, directs our eyes, our hearts, our trust, our longing, our dependence upon God, who is capable and who is faithful to fulfill His promises. Notice Paul, as he's directing us again, back to, uh, to Genesis 15. They are in that section. Uh, It's important that we see this. Paul isn't an innovator. He's not coming up with new things. He's rooting all of this in the Old Testament Scriptures. Where we saw, where he focused on last week is the first half of of Genesis 15, where Abraham was asking God, uh, he's like, look, you've you've promised me that I'm going to have an heir. You've promised me that I'm going to have a son. I don't have anyone now. You've blessed me with all this stuff. But the only person I have to leave it to is my servant, Eleazar of Damascus. That's when God took him outside to look at the stars, Abraham. So will our offspring be. Abraham believed and this counted to him as righteousness. But then Abraham had a second question because God followed that up and reminding Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land that you, you see, rooted in the, the, this promise of, of land. Let me give it to your offspring. And Abraham asked this question in uh, Genesis 15, 8. He says, O Lord Yahweh, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God has Abraham do this weird and strange thing. He He says to Abraham, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. What he has him do is he, the, the larger animals, God has Abraham cut them in half and set them over uh, against each other. The birds, he has them set on either side. And so it's, it, there's dead animals on this side and dead animals on this side. What God is doing here is something that Abraham and, and people of that time would have been uh, familiar with. He's doing what would have been called cutting a covenant. Formally establishing a relationship that, that a, a sovereign or a, a great one would initiate and pursue uh, with someone of lesser status. And what they would do is they would cut these animals in half and the person entering into the covenant would walk through the middle of the animals as they professed their faithfulness to the covenant. 
saying that if I fail to live up to my side of the covenant, I will be like these animals, cut in half, dead. But usually the person who walked through the middle was the lesser of the individuals. But that's not the case here. As we, we go further down, we'll see that, uh, that when time came for the, the ceremony to happen, where Abraham would have been the one to walk through the middle, he falls asleep. And uh, what, what appears to him, it says, is when the sun had gone down, it was dark, and behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, uh, symbolizing God. He's the one who goes through the middle of the animals, saying the fulfillment of these promises of me to give this promise to you of the land, Abraham, will not come about through your works. Notice God doesn't say to Abraham's question, how will I know whether I will inherit the land? And God says, well, just work hard, Abraham. Follow my law. Do my commandments. That's how you'll know. No. God points Abraham to himself his character, his grace. God guarantees the fulfillment of the promise, not based on what Abraham would do, but based on what God would do. As God says, I will fulfill it. I will guarantee it. And if it doesn't come to pass, Abraham, then I'm, I'm bringing these curses on myself. That's here we see that Paul's referring to this in context. At the beginning of verse 16, he uses different language, which we'll touch on later. Uh, at the beginning of 13, sorry. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, Paul's touching on these land promises. And notice where he's directing us and showing it, that it's based on grace. It's based on what God has done. It is not based on performance. This is very, very important for us to understand. Too many times you may live out the Christian life Rooted in shame and fear, thinking that what you did last night or what you may do in the future is going to affect how God relates to you, your status before him. You, you, may have, you may even think that maybe I entered into this relationship with God by grace through faith, but you continue to live out the Christian life thinking that everything is rooted and based on how you're performing and what you were doing. And at any moment, if you don't live up to it, then God's going to yank away everything that He's promised to you. But notice what we're seeing here in the Scriptures. Everything about God's relationship with His people is rooted and grounded not in what we do, but in what He has done. It's rooted not on what we accomplish or how we perform, but on what He has done for us. The way that we can be sure that everything that God promises to us will be guaranteed is because it's based on His performance and not ours. Because if it was rooted and based on what you or I would do, you might as well give up now. Because you will never experience one aspect of His promise. But the fact that it's based on what He has done guarantees that by faith, as we rest and trust in Him, we will always receive those promises as we look to Him in faith. Here, Paul is, is pointing to those who want to, to root the relationship that God's people have with Him and their performance. He says there's no, no way at all that this is even possible. 
Look to the Scriptures. What do they say? God's promises have always come through faith. This brings up another question that has been looming large and that Paul's been addressing is, what about the Gentiles? What are the Gentiles' relationship to these promises that God has given? Notice, this is going to be important that we understand who, who can experience these, these promises. Because notice, uh, look again in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Who are, or who is this, this offspring that he's talking about? Who will and who is able to experience these promises that God has given to his people? Because it's really interesting here. Remember, back in Genesis 15, what God promised to Abraham is that he was going to give to him and his offspring the land. The, the land, the geographical land of promised land, which was Canaan at that point and later became Israel. Limited by geographic boundaries, God said to Abraham, look around, I'm going to give this land to you and to your offspring. Notice what Paul says here. This, this promise that's given to this offspring is no longer just the promised land in Canaan. What does he say? Look, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. Heir of the world. Jesus said a, a similar thing in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. It seems that as, as these promises that God has given, uh, the, 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 the fulfillment of them has always involved expansion, growth. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a near fulfillment in, in Abraham and his offspring inheriting the, the promised land there in Canaan. Although when Abraham died, you know how much of it he had? He had a graveyard. He had a plot to bury Sarah on when he died. Later, God's people would inherit all of that land and come to its full extent under the reigns of David and Solomon. Uh, but God's, the fulfillment of these original promises always involved expansion from the garden or from the, uh, the promised land to the entire uh, place of Israel and then seeing uh, there going to the world. Um, some may say, well, this doesn't really seem to, to fit in with God keeping his promises. He promised that they would have the physical land of, uh, of Israel. To, to, to move it and say that you're talking about the world is to spiritualize these promises. But is God really not keeping his promise if he moves from the promised land to then giving uh, Abraham and his offspring the entire world? Down on Main Street. I don't know if you've seen it. It's the only huge house in the, uh, the business district of Elizabeth City's Main Streets, the Charles O. Robinson House. That house was given by uh, a man, Mr. Blades, to his daughter when she married Robinson. It was a, a, a present for their wedding. It's quite the present, if you've seen that house. Now think, what if 
as the, that her father, Mr. Blades, is communicating to his daughter and had always told her, hey, when you get married, I'm going to give you a house. But come the wedding day, he didn't give her a house, but he gave her an entire city. Could we ever say, how dare you not keep your promise? For is not giving someone an entire city even more fulfilling of the promise that it seemed as a parent and communicated at the beginning? He's more than fulfilled it. He's, he's gone far and above even what he, it seemed that he was communicating then. And that's what we're seeing here that, that God is doing to Abraham. In, in seed form, what was being communicated was the land of Israel. But what ultimately would come about is the, the world. And we see that carried out, uh, actually, as we look at the, uh, the flow of redemptive history from the beginning. Remember, God's intention for his people. It was always that God's people dwell in God's land in a relationship and under his rule. How do we see that in Genesis? God's land, or God's people, Adam and Eve, right? Dwelt in God's land. Where did they dwell? In the whole world? No. God placed them in a small garden in the land of Eden. And they lived in a relationship with him under his rule. What was their responsibility and their goal? To spread the glory of the Lord, to care for that little garden so that it would expand until it filled the entire earth. You go from a small geographical area to a larger one in the fulfillment of it. We see the same thing happening here. God's people, Abraham's seed, dwell in God's land, the promised land in Israel, under his good rule in a relationship with him. Ultimately, though, the fulfillment of that is the earth. God dwelling with his people here on this planet. We're not going to dwell and live with, uh, on clouds in heaven. The fulfillment of God's promises have always been the material world of this planet where we will dwell with him forever. And the full fulfillment of these promises come by faith, not through performance. But notice, it's not just the fulfillment of these land promises, but these promises that God has given have always involved the Gentiles. Both these, uh, these, this promise of the land that he talks about in 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. But also, we see here that it always included the Gentiles. Notice, that is why it depended on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares in the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Paul is saying from the very beginning, what was going on in that promise was that God had in view when he promised Abraham the land, what he had in view was the world. And when Abraham, when he was promising Abraham offspring and that he'd be the father of many nations, it already in the beginning then included the Gentiles. The near fulfillment obviously would be nations would come from him. We see Israel came from Abraham. Uh, uh, the nation of Edom came from Abraham. The Ishmaelites came from Abraham. But there's an even greater fulfillment going on there. Because notice what Paul says, even in, in supporting what, he, what he's saying there in verse 16. It's not only to the adherents of the law, meaning the Jews, but to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The, the, the way that one becomes a child of Abraham is through faith. 
What Paul is saying is it's not rooted just in your biology or your genetics. It's not rooted in your keeping the law. It's based on faith. If, if you're a physical Jew who's an ethnic related to Abraham, but you don't trust in the God of Abraham and you don't share the faith of Abraham, you will not inherit these promises. Not the spiritual promises, not the material promises of the land. Notice how that is played out throughout uh, the scriptures. When Israel failed to trust and rest and believe in God, what happened to their status in the land? They were kicked out. They lost that. They went into exile. But what God is saying here, or through Paul and pointing us back, is that these promises have always been for the people of God, for the offspring of Abraham. And how do you know who the offspring of Abraham is? It's those who are trusting and believing in the God that Abraham believed in, who have the faith of Abraham. If you are a Jew physically related to Abraham, but you do not have faith, these promises are not yours. If you are a Gentile, but you do not have faith, these promises are not yours. But if you are an ethnic Jew and you're believing in the God of Abraham, these promises are yours. And if you're a Gentile who believes as Abraham believed, then these promises are yours because they're rooted in, in what God has said. This is important for us to understand because uh, it's, it's common in uh, a lot of uh, American Christianity to think that the interpretive key to interpreting the Scriptures rightly is to make sure that we keep Israel and the church distinct. Uh, that God had a plan and a purpose to use Israel in the world. Uh, but God had a, a, a plan B, a parenthesis in his plan where he's, he's operating with the church. And when he finishes what he's doing with the church, he's going to come back and do what he, he promised to do with Israel. Israel was given these physical promises, the physical promises of the, 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 the land and the promised land in Canaan. God is doing a spiritual work among uh, of the church. And the church inherits spiritual promises that they will experience in heaven, a heavenly kingdom. That's why the terminology of people talking about the rapture and us being the church being taken away from earth to dwell in their place where the promise would be received in heaven uh, came about. But notice, that's not rooted in the scriptures at all. What Paul is saying here is that what God had always given his people were material promises and spiritual promises. What are the spiritual promises given both to ethnic Jews and Gentiles? Well, look at what Paul tells us back or at the end of this chapter. Look in verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised Jesus, raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. As we trust and hope in the God of Abraham, we will be declared righteous. We will receive these spiritual promises that we will be justified by faith. But also notice, there's material promises. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. What will we inherit as we're trusting and resting in the God of Abraham? The entire world. A material and physical promise where we will dwell and live forever with God and His people is on this planet, renewed and restored. There is no plan B. God has always and only had one people, those who are resting and trusting in His promises by faith. There's only and always been one way to be made right with God. Those who will inherit the promises 
are those who are trusting in Abraham's God. Uh, Unbelieving Israel will never receive any of God's promises because they've always been rooted and grounded through faith and trusting and relying on Him. Uh, We need to uh, continue to to realize this as we think about uh, why we're here. What is our purpose on this world? Sometimes we may say, well, it doesn't really matter because it's going to burn up anyway. Or we think, well, this world isn't my home. Where I dwell and I reside and my citizenship is in heaven. And I can't wait until I die and escape all of this. Do you not realize? Who have you been made? Humanity. We're fleshly, physical. We're spiritual and material beings. God created this world as the dwelling place for humanity to reside and to live with Him. What we do here matters. Our bodies matter. The material world matters. We'll touch on this in just a little bit, but why else would God raise Jesus from the dead and promise us that we will have resurrected bodies if there's something wrong with the material world that we need to escape? No. This world matters. It is our God's, and He says it is ours. We are heirs of these promises. Through what we do? No. Through trusting and resting in Christ, the one who guarantees the reception, the inheritance, the experience of the promises, but only and always through faith. So, again, the the question that we would ever think that God's promises are rooted in anything we've done Either if you want to think about it, about your, your, your genetics, your heritage, your ethnicity, or what you've done and your performance before God, Paul says no. It's only and always been rooted in faith. And God's promises come through faith. And from the beginning, the promises had an eye, their fulfillment. Gentiles, believing Gentiles and believing Jews dwelling with their God in this renewed and restored world forever. Never rooted in what we've done. Uh, But Paul, as he wraps up this chapter, we saw last week as we're thinking about what what does this believing faith look like? What's the the content of it? Because we saw that when we're trusting in our works, the object of that belief and faith and confidence is in ourselves. But this believing faith, the work that God is doing, is focused on Him. Last week we saw that that the the faith that Paul directed us to in the aspect of that faith was rooted in trusting in the God who uh, declared the unrighteous righteous in Him, who forgave the ungodly. But this week we see that this God who makes promises is the God of resurrection. Look in verses... uh, 17 and following. He says to Abraham, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Uh, Notice what he's saying there. This God that Abraham is placing his faith in, this God that Abraham is hoping in, is the God who gives life to the dead. The one who calls into existence what doesn't exist. Abraham's faith and the God that he's resting in is Abraham had a belief that this God can bring life where there's a death. Notice how Paul supports that. 
In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness, or literally looking at it there, it's deadness. Again, that same language, deadness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he's promised. That was the only hope Abraham had, right? Remember, we looked at this. If, if you are going to, to, to promise and select a, a couple to be the one through whom multitude of nations come, uh, the, the promised one who is, is going to come from their, uh, from their seed that would defeat the, the evil one and the serpent? Why in the world would you call somebody in their 70s and then later still not give them a child until they're, they're 100? This would be the last man you would call. You want to you wanna call a young couple in the prime of their fertility who can populate and make all sorts of kids, those would be the prime candidates. And you would want to call a godly couple who worship and love and cling to God, and God would look on them and say, you know what, they're who I will use because they love me and they can make a lot of kids. But remember, who did we see? Who is this Abraham? God called a dead man. Not just a dead man physically and in his, and Sarah's womb. They could not produce any children. No life could come from them. But also, there was no spiritual life in Abraham as well. Remember what we saw last week. When God looked on Abraham, what did he see? An idol worshiper. An idol worshiper who could not have kids. This isn't the Redeemer of the world. No. From the beginning, God shows if you're trusting in yourself, if you're trusting in humanity, you will never be redeemed. You must hope in one who can bring life where there is death, who can bring into existence what isn't. And that was where Abraham hoped. He recognized, I'm dead. I can do nothing. Sarah's dead. She can do nothing. But you know what? This isn't about me, Abraham said. It never has been about me. That's where the Jews got it wrong. It's always been about God. And where was the object of Abraham's faith? Looking to the God who he knew could fulfill his promises. Trusting in the God who can bring life where there's death and resting and relying on Him. That's why what Paul describes it here is he was giving glory to God. You see, when we're, our faith is, is resting in God and we're recognizing we can't do anything, everything about it is giving glory and honor to Him because what we're saying is our only hope is in Him and what He has done. There is no hope in me. Not in my law-keeping, not in my, uh, my DNA test, not in anything that I've done, but only in God. Do you, do you see the parallels there? Between the faith that Abraham has, Abraham is trusting in a God who, uh, who 
makes righteous, who justifies the ungodly. And Abraham is trusting in a God who brings life where there is death. Notice where Paul, how he connects it. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, because he was trusting in the God who, do, who makes the unrighteous righteous, and he was trusting in the God who can bring life where there was death. But these words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. How in the world could it be written for us? We're not a hundred. We're not barren and the promises of the world resting on our shoulders. Is that what is necessary? That I must believe that as I've I got to be a hundred and think that I can have a baby before these promises apply to me? No. God says these promises were written for you as well. For anyone who would believe. Wow. How is this possible? It was written for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, it, it didn't make sense, did it? That this deliverer that God finally would send, you promised, it, you promised this deliverer to Adam and Eve way back when they rebelled against you in the garden that he would come and, and crush the evil one and, and bring about redemption from all the effects of sin. This is the promised one that you told Abraham. It was going to be through this particular son that would come and bring blessing and redemption and reconciliation and forgiveness to the world. Waiting and waiting and waiting. When will he come? How will he come? And he finally gets here. And what happens? He dies. The Romans kill him. Are you kidding me? You know how long we've been waiting for this? And he dies? Can you not keep your promises? Did Satan get the victory? Oh no. Because remember who the God is that we're trusting in? Remember who we have our hope in? Remember who can keep his promises? The God who can bring life where there is death. And the dead Jesus went into the tomb. And what happened? The live Jesus walked out. The resurrected Jesus of Nazareth walked out of the tomb. God kept His promise. There never is a promise that God makes that will not come to pass. And notice what that means for us as we're hoping and trusting in this God. Because Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It was necessary that Christ die. Without His death, how will our sin be dealt with? How will God's wrath that we justly deserve be uh, assuaged? We talked about this last week. But also notice, the resurrection of Jesus resurrected for our justification. Recognizing that when Christ walked out of the tomb, what did it communicate? He was the innocent sufferer. He did not suffer and die for his own sin, his own rebellion. He died for my sin and yours. And he walked out, guaranteeing our justification, our being declared right before our God. Hear and know this. As we're seeing these, this, the, the content of the faith that saves 
We must believe in a God who justifies the ungodly, recognizing our sin and our only hope is in what God does on our behalf. But also notice what Paul says here. You've got to believe in the resurrection. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. If you do not believe that, if you think it was a myth, if you think it was a legend, if you think He just spiritually rose from the dead, then that faith does not save, Paul is saying. What we're, as we're hoping and resting in our God, we're believing in the God who declares sinners righteous through the death and resurrection of Christ. This is the good news of the Gospel. Abraham was looking forward. Did he know that his name would be Jesus? Did he know that he would suffer and die in this way? No. But he trusted in the God who would keep his promise to bring that offspring who would deal with sin permanently and achieve the victory so that humanity could dwell on this planet unaffected by sin anymore in the presence of God and His glory would be everywhere. Abraham looked forward and hoped and rested in that day. We're looking backwards and we know who He is. We've seen that God can keep His promises. We've seen that He's faithful to everything that He has said and that He brings the dead to life. That's the only way any of us would believe, right? We're dead in our sin. This is the good news of the Gospel. As we see, the, the, the fulfillment of God's promises as they move forward and expanding even greater from one nation that would bring blessing to the nations of, of a, a small geographical spot of land in the Middle East to the entire world. How has that come to pass? Through the finished work of Christ on behalf of His people who achieved the victory that we never could accomplish. Praise be to our God that this is the way we experience these promises. We don't do. We don't work. We believe and we trust and we rest in the One who will keep every single one of His promises. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You that it is based on what You do, not us. We thank You that Christ has fulfilled and kept the law. We thank You that Christ has uh, lived the perfect life, that He died the death we deserved. We thank You that You are a God who brings the dead to life and that Christ was raised for us. Put our hope, put our confidence in Jesus as we await the resurrected Christ to bodily return that we would dwell with Him forever. Amen.